do we raise boys well? Boys need permission to be their full human selves, so to embrace all the parts of them. And there are so many messages in our culture that tell them to do the opposite and to cut out parts of themselves, all the feminine, lovely parts with softness and kindness. So they need books like this to give them permission to be soft and to embrace their full selves. Today on Feed Play Love, a picture book that helps to point our boys in the right direction. Feed Play Love with Siobhan Hunt. What are the things that concern you about raising boys? I have a son, and some of the things that I think about are him being able to express his feelings, being comfortable in his own body, and having good friends. Be Your Own Man is a picture book aimed at boys around eight years of age that addresses all of these concerns. Jess Sanders is the author. She's also a social worker who's worked with boys. Hi, Jess. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. So what have you witnessed with the young boys you work with in terms of the kinds of ideas they're getting about masculinity? Yeah, so for context, I'll often go into a school and I'll work with young boys and young women around topics on body image and self-care and mental health. And I'll often make those presentations really interactive. I love to ask them questions and get their perspective on things and, and gather information for myself, but also to expose some of the harmful ideas that a lot of them are carrying. And um, I'll, I actually did this really amazing activity once with the students and I asked them to draw a picture of a girl on one side of a piece of paper and a picture of a boy on the other side of a piece of paper and just, you know, dress them how you would and then write some words around those two different characters. And what I found, there was about 40 students that did the activity. There was um, there was five that wrote, um, you know, pushes down feelings as one of a key characteristic that a man does. <laughs> um, wow. as you could, Yeah, which was quite shocking to me. But you can imagine there was also other, you know, more consistent characteristics like men are strong and men are the, you know, the breadwinners. So they say they earn the money. Um, All these kind of ideas about masculinity that, you know, are straight out of the fifties that we think kind of maybe moved past (laughs) that they're still picking up because they are little information collecting observational machines. It's their job to collect all this data about, you know, how they'll be accepted and how they should show up in the world. And we're still unfortunately feeding them some really harmful messages. So those are just a few of the ideas that they're they're gathering about what it means to be a man. And in those conversations with the boys, how were they about opening up around those topics? Because um, I know with my son, and an anecdote of one child, obviously not a scientifically accurate report here, but I know that my son he is a little bit more guarded with how mm. he feels than my daughter is. And I yeah. would say I, I encourage both of them to express their feelings. But when I try to talk to him about that sort of stuff, he, he tends to kind of hide his head away and not want to chat about it. I mean, what are they yeah. like in a classroom setting? Yeah, well, quite similar. And I imagine in a classroom setting, I'd say it the stakes are even higher because 
boys in particular are very good at policing each other. They understand the rules of what it means to be a boy pretty well. Um, you know, children start performing gender from about two years of age. And when I say performing, they look around, they go, oh, boys are meant to do this. I'm going to do that, for example. Um, you know, so they have been learning those rules. We're social creatures. We want to fit in um, huge stakes when it comes to being vulnerable in a classroom setting. Whereas the stakes aren't so high for girls, they're expected and given space to say something, you know, sensitive, like when I'm feeling sad, I like to listen to sad music and have a cry. I've never once heard a boy say that, but I've heard a lot of girls say that to me when I ask them what they do to manage their emotions. So, Mm. you know, those, those structures are keeping them from expressing their emotions. And also, we need to practice as children how to express our emotions. And so if one gender has been severely disadvantaged and, and not had the ability to practice using the correct language and, and also how that, you know, that declaration of how their feeling is going to be received, then they get stuck. And they're like, how are you feeling? They're like, oh, I can't find the words. Um, I don't know how to say this because I haven't been able to practice it enough in the same way that girls have as well. And I see that I also work with young men uh, right up the other end of the spectrum in the justice system. And they would, most of them would be embodying the, the, you know, the masculine stereotype and what we call like the man box. On that note, um, I have done interviews about friendships and seen the kind of work they're doing in schools about friendships, which has been really encouraging, but also I feel like traditionally there's more focus on girls when it comes to toxic friendships. I know they're Mm. probably being taught the same rules now, but I'm wondering, has the conversation been different for boys? Does it need to be different for boys? Because I'm just observing that they can have such beautiful, intense, gorgeous friendships when they're small that Um, don't seem to last the distance the same way girls' friendships can? Yeah, 100%. And it's a tricky topic, isn't it, when we can't talk to, like, how we educate children? Because, like, the problem is that we've educated them differently but subconsciously. We haven't been aware that our biases have come into the classroom, into the home, Um, Mm. but they absolutely do. And I say that knowing full well that I still have a lot of biases that I'm yet to unpack and also to bring into practice as well because they're just, they're rooted in our brains from our own conditioning. So, yeah, in the classroom, obviously, we want to try and treat everyone as equal, but there are gendered issues that affect our children. And um, that's it's sort of the dilemma I had with Love Your Body and Be Your Own Man because everyone was like, oh, you've written this book about loving your body, but what about for boys? And I was like, I actually didn't go into this book, Love Your Body, to write about body image. I came into it asking the question, um, what is holding girls back from achieving their full potential? And I asked that same question when it came to boys. And the answer was very clearly this rigid idea of what it means to be a boy and also to look like a boy and and to sort of show up. So I do think we need to take a gendered approach and we need to be conscious of gender when we're educating. And and when it comes to friendships as well, like that is going to be so powerful when we can learn how to encourage boys to support each other, to open up vulnerable spaces, um, to be able to talk about their feelings, that will be the game changer because currently they're kind of in this little um, like a production line. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure if that's the correct word, but like they are every day learning little 
bits and pieces about how to be and how not to be. For example, I was voting the other day, my local electorate, the election, and I was standing on the Oval and I was so excited that I voted for a progressive government and I was standing on this little Oval waiting for my friend to come out and I just heard this boy, I was watching him, he looked really sweet, he was kicking the football um, and then his friend kicked the football and it wasn't a very good kick and he was like, oh, you're such a girl and he just kept saying it. He kept saying, oh, you're a girl, you girl and that mocking... (laughs) It it creates such shame. And that's a normal phrase that they're hearing every day. (laughs) You know, oh, my God, how could I be like a girl? Being like a girl is the worst thing I could be. Um, I must harden myself. I must also not make mistakes. So, like, you know, a kick that was a bit flimsy, that's not on. And, And so they're getting all these little and what we might think are subtle messages but are really powerful. And it's so important to hear you say that example, because sometimes I think I listen to the messages that we need to give our boys. And in my head, I'm like, surely nobody says that to a boy anymore. (laughs) But obviously someone has said it in front of that little boy that he thinks it's an insult. He has heard that somewhere. Um, and he's regurgitating it, and they all are. They become like little parrots <laughs> um, yeah. for, for these social rules. Um, and the stakes are really high with boys, I think, when it comes yes. to those rules. Yeah. When you tell stories like that, it just makes me think what are the role models in their life for mm. um, positive masculine, uh, a positive expression of masculinity, you know? Like who who is in their life that is displayed? Because role modelling is so powerful, mm. right? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And there is um, a really amazing program called The Man Cave, and that's run by um, all male identifying men. They're young men usually, um, and they go into schools. It's usually high schools, but I wish that, you know, um, they hopefully get into primary schools too. And they create those spaces and they model that behavior. And so they start discussions about, you know, they, like, they, they lift the lid, I guess, on all these rules that they may not be even thinking about. And they say, you know, chuck those away. Like and they open up vulnerable spaces, they create safe spaces, and the the transformation that appears to happen in those spaces is incredible. And it's about you know facilitating that kind of discussion amongst those young men so that they can, I guess, together realize how harmful all these stories are that they're sort of regurgitating, um, mm. and then acknowledge how much they are suffering under the weight of those expectations, and then moving forward, how are we going to support one another? So. I think programs like that and role models like that deliberately coming into schools and deliberately having those conversations is going to be a really powerful uh, way forward. You mentioned earlier that, um, you know, we need to have a, a gendered approach when we talk to our kids about certain issues because of what has been missed in their conversation. And you mentioned you'd written a book about body awareness and, and um, body acceptance with girls. But you also address this in the book for boys. So how did you come to that part of the book and what was it you were trying to achieve? Yeah, so body image or, you know, the beauty ideal between the genders, I've realised is very much not about, um, I guess, beauty as it appears, but it's actually more about behaviour. So it's a prescription. So the description we get as women is usually look smaller uh, take up less space, be almost like porcelain unmoving dolls, <laughs> um, <laughs> i.e. objects, <laughs> and that is where you're going to be the most valued by a society. And for boys, it's be bigger, take up more space, be dominant in your body. And so it's very much connected 
to gender inequality and gendered issues because I think like I, I did my postgrad in gender and, and doing that makes you realise that gender infiltrates every part of our life, like every single part, even if we think it doesn't. And so that was a very important part of the book for me because, you know, they have body image pressures as well. It's not to the same extent that it is for girls because for girls they're very much taught that how they look and their body is the epitome of their worth. And boys are not taught that message. And so I guess when I write these books, I look at identity and worth and confidence. And I wanted to be addressing those issues yeah, in a gendered way, in the way that they were affecting those young people. It makes sense to me. <laughs> mm. um, and we know that lots of adult men today have a huge problem with asking for help. Is that why you addressed it in this book or was it something you are already seeing in young boys? I'd say both. I obviously, yeah, know that it's a huge problem. And um, the way that I view, I guess, addressing social problems is actually going back to childhood and starting an education because it takes so much effort for us to unlearn harmful ideas and actually in adulthood to relearn new ways of relating. It's not that we can't do it, but it takes a lot of privilege and resources to be able to do that. Whereas when we're learning things for the first time, we're a fresh canvas um, and we can practice those neural pathways and ways of relating so that they're really strengthened by the time we get to adulthood. So I felt that it's a natural, I guess, first move to start with education and young people knowing what we know. But I, of course, see it in the men around me and in my life. But I think starting with boys and when it comes to boys and asking for help, I guess the kind of questions that I ask them don't really lead to those kinds of conversations, but you do speak to their teachers and you just know it is a part of their existence as well. What I did notice with boys when it comes to sort of self-care, so those self-soothing activities and all the emotional regulation activities that they can do independently, I would often ask them, you know, what do you do to take care of yourself? If you're feeling a big feeling or an emotion, whether it be sadness or anger or the bigger, more difficult emotions, what do you do? And the girls will often say, I journal, I talk to my mom about it, um, I will listen to some music, maybe have a cry, all really healthy things to do. And the boys will say, it will be play video games <laughs> or some kind of video game or like Fortnite or whatever it is, because it's how can I distract myself, not how can I feel this feeling, because it's uncomfortable to feel a feeling. And if we're not well versed in it, we've not had safe spaces for it, we're going to avoid it. And I see that absolutely in a lot of the men in my life as well, is just that impulse to avoid rather than to feel. And what we know about emotions is they generally last 90 seconds. So if without a narrative, like without sort of, you know, telling yourself a story about the feeling, if you could just let yourself fully feel it, it will pass. But boys, I think in particular, fear that fear the feeling and will distract themselves from it. And I think that's a huge disadvantage to them because it creates all kinds of mental and physical health issues down the track. Jess, I could talk to you all afternoon. This is incredible <laughs> stuff. Um, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me. That's Jess Sanders. She's a social worker and the author of Be Your Own Man. And to find the book, you just need to follow the links in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes, plus we can reach and help even more parents. 
And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover, email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.